Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest, be soothed, and at times maybe gently challenged to think about yourself and your practice. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment, growth and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. Welcome to the new episode. I'm really thrilled to introduce my guest and dear friend, Dr. Jacques Risk. Jacques is a Melbourne-based senior clinical psychologist who works in private practice as a clinician and supervisor, and in the community as a consultant and trainer. He has a special interest in the mental health of people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, pansexual, and other diversities, LGBTQIAP+. In private practice, he sees adolescents, adults, families, and couples from all parts of the rainbow. As a clinical supervisor and trainer, he provides professional development to clinicians new to working with LGBTQIAP people. He also works as a consultant beyond clinical settings, bringing his experience and knowledge to workplaces, schools, places of worship and other groups and communities. As well as this, he is one of life's wonderful human beings and a really funny guy. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome my dear friend and old uni roommate to Welcome to Self. I hope you enjoy him as much as I do. Hey Jacques, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as my first guest on the Welcome to Self, Caring for the Human in the Therapist Chair podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. This is really exciting. So Jacques, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your journey into psychology and what you do now? Sure. Sure. A little bit about myself, that's a bit daunting. Um, So I've been uh, working as a psychologist since 2010, but before that I worked also as a um, counsellor, kids helpline and parent line. Um, Started that in 2001 or 2002, so a long time ago now. And, um, yeah, I I found that that sort of um, working with a broad different range of people was really, really enjoyable. And then from there, I, I wanted to work more specifically with different groups when I became a psychologist. And I put the word out there that 
Um, as a gay man myself, I'm interested in working with a whole range of the whole rainbow acronym LGBTIQAP plus people. And um, what I found was I got a lot more referrals in that kind of space from GPs in, in my local area, um, particularly around gender related things. And uh, that's just become more and more the group that I work with. So these days it's um, 85% of my clients would fall somewhere in that rainbow and uh, of them three quarters would be seeing me for gender related um, matters right from you know there's something a little bit different for me with my gender um, through to I know who I am what do I do about it through to you know uh, my identity um, when it comes to my gender is something that I've already affirmed and I just want to see a therapist that's got that sort of literacy in the background, but it's not why I'm here. So that's become kind of my, my main thing. I also do lots of teaching and training and supervising in that space, which I really, really love too. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much how I spend my time across those three things, like um, working um, in private practice and um, supervising and training and also some kind of working in schools and advocacy stuff in the community. A uh, little bit about myself, really, outside of that, um, that keeps me pretty busy. But I guess why we're here to talk about all this is how how I am out of that. And, um, yeah, I would describe myself these days as, like, part man, part internet. Um, I spend a lot of time online um, looking at memes and <laughs> exploring um, my... Um, I don't know. I just like novelty. I like learning new things. I like um, poking around in in weird different corners of ways people live. So I'm always um, online looking at kind of new new stuff, uh, different songs, different um, different ways of people living. So I love that kind of thing. And um, yeah, other bits and pieces. You know, um, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for a long time. Your experience stretches back a while. And you obviously have some diversity in your work as well, which is great. Mm. I think that can always be really helpful for people, can't it? Um, You work in Mm. each area, one that comes with a lot of client distress and potential high risk to client safety, unfortunately. How do you manage this for yourself? What sort of things do you find most helpful? I know you've sort of spoken about the the part man, part internet. I love that. And I think many of us who know you <laughs> benefit from your research into funny memes. And, uh, they're always really appreciated by everybody. But what, what do you do to take care of yourself? And what's your favourite way of kind of nurturing yourself? Mm. Well, um, I guess I, I'll start from the outset by saying I'm certainly... Um, you know, no, no guru on this. I um, really um, don't find it's a natural thing. Or maybe a better way of putting it is that I'm. It's something I have to be really um, intentional about, and um, I, I'm just my life is not organized in such a way that naturally lends itself to um, that kind of really keeping things in balance and looking after myself. So I find that I really have to. Um, be conscious about it and then the way I live my life means that often I'm not (laughs) so um yeah so but I I think um 
how I how I do it is really trying to, and increasingly so. I mean, almost twenty years into it, I'm, I'm really recognizing the importance of um, having um, me outside of mm-hmm. work. And the thing is, I love my work so much that, as I said to um, as I said to my partner a long time ago, like I feel like. Um, when I have a full day with clients, sometimes my friends and family and, and me get the leftovers mm. and I really don't want that to be the case, you know? So, um, so I do try and, um, look after myself outside of that. And, and particularly because it is, a kind of the group I work with, the mental health stats and the suicide risk and all that is really quite intense. Um, so how I do that would be like mainly uh, connecting with people. And um, I know that um, I guess keeping, like I mentioned, those three different kinds of um, domains that I work in, like private practice, community advocacy, and supervising and training. And I find that is a really, really good way for me to ensure that I've got the balance as as good as I can with um, not being overwhelmed too much by the the risk and the the uh, emotional demand yeah. and um, yeah and then um, in terms of like uh, this might sound um, well I know it won't sound silly but um, maybe a bit surprising but like I really um, if I if I've had a tough day my favorite thing to do is like to um, I go for a walk to a cinema about 10 minutes away from from here and I don't really care what I see even. It's more like I love going on my own to see a movie and um, it's more about consuming my body weight in popcorn, to be honest. It's um, just about like, um, you know, just sitting there and not really um, having to do any kind of active work and just passively enjoying a you know, stupid movie that I'll forget and having um, time for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm just wondering as you're saying that, um, how has COVID mm. impacted, I guess, your work, but also that mm. ability to take care of yourself, particularly in that way that you really enjoy by sort of taking yourself off to the scene? Mm. Because obviously you're, you're based in Melbourne and you guys have had yeah. it really tough down there. Absolutely. Um, I think that the, um, it, again, it might sound maybe a bit silly or something, but um, it was really, um, other than other than missing most of my friendship group and my social connections, um, I, I almost had to like grieve not being able to go to the movies and do all of those things that, um, I would normally rely on to keep me well. Um, and I mean, we were in lockdown for over four months, so it was um, hard going. And um, yeah, I, I remember saying a number of times, like the first thing I'm going to do when things open back up is um, forget, you know, flying to, to Queensland to see friends and family. The first thing I'm going to do is actually go to the movies and um yeah, uh, it was really something that I recognised as an important thing to have something completely indulgent outside of myself that took me out of these four walls that I'd lost during that time. 
And um, just more broadly, I think COVID was um, kind of a triple whammy, really. Like it was more need from others, like the distress was higher and the volume of clients as well, Mm. really seeking help really increased as well. New referrals as well as people coming back out of the woodwork seeking some help. Um, And then also the access to support, just like I was noticing. For them, it was even more so oftentimes. So trying to um, do the things that would help normally, like behavioural activation for depression or exposure for anxiety, we were really limited with a you know curfew and only a number of reasons to leave the house and all of that. So it was a really really tough time in terms of um, having the, the same access to clinical resources. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's really impacted people in such different ways, hasn't it? And I think you know the yeah. increase in distress and demand is mm. we're seeing that everywhere, um, and, and mm. no doubt overseas as well, not just in Australia. Absolutely. And it was like every week would be a new way. Just when I thought I'd kind of heard, you know, like a, an exhaustive list of all the creative ways COVID was getting under people's skin, there'd be a new thing I never would have thought of, you know. Um, yeah, it's full on. And I think one of the things, um, you know, that I found for myself and other therapists that I've spoken to is it's also one of those times when what your clients are talking about, you're experiencing as well. Mm. oftentimes mm, our absolutely. clients' stories um, are not our stories. But with COVID, mm. I think that's really impacted sort of listening to clients. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Mm. It's been really mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And even like um, I read this thing early on in COVID about um, boundaries and um, that, it was important to have boundaries even with ourselves during COVID in terms of um, how we set limits on on the um, thoughts that we indulge in and other things too, not just boundaries with, you know, self-care and yeah. um, the demands we allow others to put on us. But um, my point being that um, in terms of the impact of COVID, it was in a lot of ways an erosion of, of um boundaries I think including the capacity to um, separate ourselves from our client stories the way we normally do Um, so yeah I couldn't agree more yeah I think that's a beautiful way of putting it actually an erosion of the boundaries I think that's exactly what it's been hasn't it Mm. so what Mm, do you find what do you find are your biggest challenges I mean you said that self-care doesn't necessarily come naturally and I think that's for most of us um, mm. and that it has to be very intentional, which I'd absolutely agree on. So what do you think are the biggest challenges that you face in taking care of yourself as a practitioner? I've thought about this, and um, I think, <laughs> you know, the, um, that, that very distinct feeling of being a complete hypocrite <laughs> in, in our yeah. work. <laughs> Um, yeah, so sitting across from someone sort of, um, you know, having had half the sleep I should, (laughs) um, uh, you know, sitting in a very, you know, the end of a very sedentary day talking to them about, you know, sleep hygiene and lifestyle factors. I think, um, that really 
basic. I was really like it's humbling, I think, as a as a clinician to really realize over and over again just the um, potential um, impact in both directions of that stuff. So, uh, you know, staying socially connected, sleep hygiene, exercise, diet, all of that, and that stuff particularly. I think, um, especially when things are tough. Um, my nature personally is to kind of um, feel like um, the, the toughness of life permits me to um, not adult too much in my, my time outside of that. And therefore the best way to not adult too much is, yeah, I'll stay up a bit later. I'll have a sec second helping of whatever and, and so on. So the lifestyle stuff and just, um, remaining kind of disciplined in a in a healthy way in a balanced way as well not being a perfectionist about it I struggle with that mm. and then um I think the the other thing because I, I think the flip side like what I've learned how to do well and I really you know I can see where I started and where I am now with this is I think I am a lot more compassionate and gentle with myself like I can't remember the last time I judged myself for a thought I had or a feeling I had and that's the opposite of how it was you know 20 years ago mm. um but it, but I still kind of um could could get a lot better at sort of asking for help I still am quite you know independent to a fault so I think that's another thing with self-care in particular mm. I would um encourage others to really reach out during times of struggle whereas I tend to go in and um, try and do it on my own yeah. and it's yeah it's good that it's no longer in a harsh way but it's just kind of like a unhelpful habit yeah so if we think about that in terms of the flows of compassion I mean anybody that knows you knows that you have no issue with mm. compassion outward to others at all <laughs> and it sounds mm. like you've really developed mm. A, a nice level of self-compassion and perhaps the flow mm. that's a little bit more tricky for you is the receiving compassion from others that being able to reach out when mm. could really do with that help and I think you know oftentimes mm. we'll talk about self-compassion being the hardest and mm. my experience and um, from you know for myself and talking to other people is often compassion from others can be the the mm. really tricky one for us particularly as helping professionals mm. when we're so used to it flowing out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of my comfort zone when I'm the one putting my hand up for help. Totally. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of um, putting it, but it asked, yeah, it is. It's uh, allowing compassion to come to me. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure there'd be plenty of people listening that could relate to that. One of the things I wonder is what are some of the things you talk to your clients about that you don't use for yourself, like the helpful things? But if you reflected now, you might realize, actually, that could be helpful for me as well. Hmm. I think... Um... I think something that, again, 20 years ago, maybe um, I could see I used to do a lot more, which was good for me and um, modern life, as well as my own kind of um, behaviours have, have eroded that, that capacity, I think, over time. 
um, is sitting with things. I used to really, you know, it's, I know we're, we're all um, hooked to our devices and things, but really like it's those two or three minutes that, you know, my partner's gone to the bathroom or whatever, where I would normally pull out my phone out of habit, um, where I used to like, I used to go, you know, um, camping in nature for six days at a time and enjoy being completely disconnected. I used to leave my, you know, brick of a phone in the glove box and just sit there. And when it would get dark, that was as long as I could read for. And then at night I was sitting with my own thoughts and I've um, benefited from that. It was, it was hard at times, but I've, I, I reckon I'd last two hours now (laughs) doing that. So, um, so I think that's something that I, to, to kind of really, um, accompany myself and be present with myself is um something I've fallen out of habit with it's not that I can't do it or don't like what's there it's just um almost too easy not to and I think I'm missing a resource by not doing that more yeah gosh I mean the the technology these days it's so easy isn't it to to get drawn back into Mm. it all the time and actually mm. having time to just be still with ourselves mm. seems so much harder than picking up the phone. And often because mm. being with ourselves is harder, isn't it? I mean, it brings us into contact with things that perhaps are difficult, mm. whether that's stuff that's shown up in your work or whether that's stuff that's shown up in your personal life. Mm. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Sounds wonderful just going out into nature. No technology, a good book. Yeah, yeah, well, and I remember the hard parts of that too. Like sometimes I'd come home from that six-day thing feeling like I'd really almost um, gone through some kind of endurance test. Um, but always it was, I was, I benefited from it, you know, and I think now I'd approach it in a gentler way too. But um, I, I definitely know that there was, I just remember like being absorbed, absolutely immersed, just looking out at the ocean or up at the sky. I can't remember the last time I did that um, for, you know, a prolonged amount of time. And I think that's really good for us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Human beings, not human doings, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. Again, stuff that falls out of our mouths with clients, but something that I, yeah, don't do enough of. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what has been the best piece of advice you have ever been given regarding navigating being a helping professional? My my recollection, you know, you and I were mm. at university together. Mm. My my recollection mm. of the university was that we were told to take care of ourselves, that it was important. But then that's kind of where it ended. And mm-hmm. then it was sort of being, you know, laid on with multiple assignments yeah. and clients <laughs> to see and things to and group work to do and navigate all that. And there wasn't really a lot dedicated to what taking care of yourself as a health professional meant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have hope that that's different at university now, but who knows? So I'm wondering what has been the best kind of piece of advice that perhaps you got whilst you were there or from somebody else Mm. on how to navigate this? 
So, yeah, I was um, reflecting on this and um, it was actually not a, um, like it wasn't a lecturer or anyone or supervisor that gave me the best advice. It was actually my own therapist because I'm a big believer in getting your own therapy too. And um, having the same kind of, you know, the, the typical um, drive that gets you into postgrad uni also means you tend to, you know, struggle with you know being too hard on yourself and having those high standards and whatever so something that really um has helped me is my therapist said to me once Jacques always do your best but remember that doing your best means leaving enough in the tank to do your best tomorrow and I think that's the best advice I've been given really in terms of the importance of um It's just such a beautiful and succinct way of saying so much about maintenance, about self-care is actually caring for others and caring for others is possible if only if you are pacing yourself in a way that's sustainable. Um, So I've got a lot, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that one line, Um, really have. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I love Mm. it. Do your best, but leave enough in the tank to do your best again tomorrow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, that is doing your best, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in in doing our best, we need to do our best for ourselves as well. You said early on that Mm. you'd recognise that your your friends and your partner and yourself got the leftovers, which Mm. on some days Mm. might be really measly leftovers, hey, if any leftovers Mm. at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about work is one aspect of our life. And if it mm. takes everything we've got, what does that mean for the other aspects of our lives? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really struck me when um, I, a cousin of mine, actually, um, she said to me, and it blew me away that this was her experience of me. She said, you never take anything seriously. You're always joking. And I think of myself as a really serious person. And I am all day. (laughs) And I guess I was, you know, going to the other end of that spectrum. Um, And I mean, that's fine. But to have to base a whole relationship with someone around humor is uh, I I can understand why she was kind of, you know, lamenting that a little bit. And um, yeah, so I think um, it is very serious and demanding work that we do. And Again, I really appreciate the um, to do this well means being able to do it well tomorrow. And that means having a life outside of work that Mm. I'm just as dedicated to to nurturing and growing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. To put it in context a little bit for people listening, I have to say you are actually one of the funniest people I've ever (laughs) met in my life. And, you know, I, you know, before we were recording this, I think I'd said, how are we not going to crack up through this interview? Because your wit and your humour is, is fantastic. And I think anybody that knows you would attest to this, that you are a very funny guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a great, it, I mean, I'm so glad I am. Um, I, you know, life that, life can be very serious and to be um humorous about it 
that really helps, I think. But um, yeah, and I don't want to get rid of that. I love that part of me. But um, yeah, when it's a um, a defense against anything, mm. or when that's all I'm capable of, is to kind of superficially, yeah. hilariously, but superficially relate to things. And yeah, that's a sign for me that I'm out of balance. Mm. Yeah. So letting people see all of who you are, the different yeah. facets of your personality is an mm. indicator for you that you're actually managing things better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I have enough left in me to sit with someone outside of my work and, you know, allow them to be in pain and to sit with that pain rather than try and lighten it or whatever. Yeah. 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 Mm. I think that can be a really good thing, isn't it, to keep an eye on what are our little flags. Um, mm. I I'd said previously that for me when self-doubt and self-criticism starts to sneak in, mm. then I know that I'm, I need to tune in and check what's going on because whilst I used to be very, very self-critical, I'm much more self-compassionate nowadays. So if the self-critic mm. is showing up, it's kind of my thing of like, hmm, okay, what, what's going on with me? So for you, if you're kind yeah. of like being funny all of the time outside of work, it's like, hmm, okay, what am I staying away yeah. from? What's going on for me? So I think just noticing our own little red flags. Mm, Absolutely. And I think like um, oftentimes I I think I would otherwise miss it if I went with just the the classical kind of definition of burnout for psychologists, which is usually we recognise that when our performance changes, right, or when our, our work, our attitude to work changes. For me, I find that that like for whatever reason, for better or worse, that's the bit that um, I think um, suffers the least, but it is my personal life that gets the leftovers and so on. So that's what I need to keep an eye out for rather than, oh, I was a bit short with that client or I was a bit less patient with their struggle or whatever. Um, For me, yeah, it's really about, okay, well, work's still ticking along, but outside of work, it's been, you know, four days since I, you know, connected to people really that kind of thing yeah I think that's a really good point it doesn't look the same for everybody I think we need to be very careful of Mm. just seeing that there's some kind of list that you can tick off and go oh no I'm good Um, Mm. or some kind of prescription for self-care that's going to work for Mm. me I I personally don't believe that's the way it is at all I think you make a really good point there Mm. so can you tell us a little bit about any current projects you've got going on what sort of stuff are you doing? You said you do training outside of your yeah. work. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a, uh, this year has been a absolute explosion of, of that part of my, um, my professional life. So um, next weekend, I'm running a um, two-day workshop for um, psychologists and other mental health professionals hosted by the um, the the APS um, Clinical College, and um, that's really cool. So that's working, the two days is on working with that whole spectrum, um, that whole rainbow, and um, so I'm really, really happy to be doing that. I'm excited about that. That's based in Melbourne. Um, but also this year, um, I've so I've had this ongoing relationship with one school that had invited me in. It's a religious school um, down here in Melbourne, and they'd invited me in. Uh, they recognised that they needed 
some upskilling in how to be more inclusive of their their um, transgender students. Um, and um, and to their credit, they have over the last four years really taken that on, and um, it's been this wonderful um, cultural change um, that's been school wide. And so, other schools have caught wind of this, and now I'm working with four um, major schools, each of them with four or five campuses um, spread across the place, all over the country. And um, I just, again, it's it's really, really um, a great way for me to be well, but so meaningful as well to be working at the preventative end. Mm, that's, uh, that's really exciting for me. And, oh, my God, I went into a school and, and um, I've been for the last four years working with the, the um, executives right down to the staff, but I hadn't made my way down yet to working with the kids themselves. Mm. And this year I got that opportunity and it it was just so inspiring to sit in this room with 40 queer kids um, talking about how they want the school to change and what they need mm. from the school in order to change. And, oh, my God, I can't imagine when I was in year nine, looking the vice principal in the face and saying, why are you teaching me only about heterosexual sex and sex ed? That's not the kind of sex I'm going to have. Wow. So, you know, what about me? So that was that's, really cool. That's fantastic. And and for the people listening, Jacques and I are actually meeting on Zoom. And Jacques, when you talk about this, your face just lights up. Like I can see mm. the energy in you when you're yeah. talking about this I can only imagine that like you say that's actually really helpful for you as well in terms of your work how rewarding that yeah. must feel yeah it's really cool really really cool and in uh, there's so many layers to that you know like I I can't go back in time and give you know high school age jack that kind of um mm. you know school environment but it's so amazing to be part of that for this generation, you know, and to be invited in by church communities and religious schools and, um, you know, other workplaces is a really, yeah, it is the stuff that makes me light up um, and energises me. So, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. You're amazing. I can't imagine anybody better to do that work, actually. Um, You're phenomenal. Mm. Thanks so much. And, you know, mm. if, if any of the listeners have the opportunity to train with you, I would highly recommend that. You're you're an amazing, engaging and funny trainer. And we should probably say mm. that this might be aired after the training that you just mentioned before. Mm. So they might have missed yeah. that. But to look out for opportunities to train with you, because not only are you really knowledgeable in this, but um, it, it's a joy kind of learning from you. Mm. Thank you. It's fun. Thank you, you. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much. So if there was one thing that you would change about the way you work, or maybe there's more than one thing, but if there was something that Mm. you would change about the way you work, what would that be and why? I've been thinking about this as well, and um, it's bigger than, than work, but it shows up as kind of my I think my biggest challenge at work as well, yeah. in a way. Um, and it's, I've I've always kind of relieved my stress by getting to the bottom of my list of things to do kind of thing. So 
I will have a break when I'm done, when I'm done with all the things. And um, once I finally finish, um, you know, this this report, which is stressing me out, then I'll be able to kind of relax again. And um, that formula of stress relief comes when you've done the thing really isn't working for me anymore. There, it's a bottomless list. And yeah. if I'm if if I'm really caught up in my inbox being at zero unread emails and all of that, um, as when I can finally, you know, psychologically chill, um, then that's a really tense way to be. And it is how I relate to stress. Um, so I really, I, I, I'm really cognizant of that and working on, finding a, and it's a new skill. Like I, I guess um, I have been very competent and very able to kind of deal with things in that way to this point. But yeah. now that I'm doing all of these other things, it's just, it's an endless list um, and it really stresses me out. So um, I need to find a way for it to not stress me out with the list still existing. And yeah. I think that's just how it's, how it's got to be. And I'm still working my way through that how to do that um, mm. in a way that works for me, but um, that's that's what I want to change, yeah. I think that sounds really wise because it sounds like your work is is actually dictating your care schedule. Mm. Bit of a theme there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think there'll be lots of people that can relate to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once I've done this or once I've taken care of that other person or once I've got all my letters done or once I've, you know, got the email Mm. responded to, sometimes Mm. actually taking some time and Mm. restoring means we can go back and do that sometimes Mm. more productively than we might have if we're just trying to get through when we're exhausted as well. Yep, yep. And I think, again, it's that erosion of boundaries, you know, like um, if I worked a job that was like nine to five and then I leave it at work and I come home, then, and there's no access to it and that's Mm. it until the next day. But I know a lot of other professions and a lot of other work doesn't work that way um, either. And I think that for me is the challenge is um, work finishes when I'm done with the tasks and there's always tasks. So finding a way to kind of leave it where it's at and then switch gears um, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be one piece of advice that you would share with the listeners? Mm. Um, Well, I don't have one of my own, um, but something that like... Um, something I heard that's been um, really, really, really profound actually for me to come back to, and it's such a simple thing, but really like a, a, a balm to, to a sore for me. Um, I've just gotten into, um, people have been talking about it for the last year, and I finally got around to watching couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Um if you haven't watched it, it's amazing. And um, the therapist um, in one of the episodes, the first episode, I think she went to her clinical advisor, her supervisor, and um, something the supervisor said just was really um, 
uh, clarifying for me. It again, anyway, I'll get on with it. She said, um, our job as therapists is to deepen the client's understanding of their own dilemma, no more and no less. And I think I get caught up in needing it to be more and getting caught up in the sense of urgency and pressure for clients sometimes. And sometimes it's explicit pressure put on us to do more. And sometimes it's the systems like, you know, you've got X number of sessions under Medicare rebates and whatever. So I can get caught up in it's not enough, but their life is so complex and I have one hour with them per fortnight or whatever. Mm. So to just come back to that, and I can do that. I can help deepen their understanding of their own dilemma. And I think it's good for us to, as clinicians, to remember the power of that, that that's our job, that we will never be able to um, to solve our clients' problems, their lives are way more complex, but what we can do within our means is to help them understand their lives. I think that's beautiful. And I think, like you say, it is so easy to get caught up in wanting to do more, wanting to be more, wanting to sort everything out. Mm. And we do only see these people for short times of their life. Mm. say one hour maybe a fortnight Mm. Mm. so dialing down the pressure on our side Mm. yeah Yeah. and I just like that that I mean I think we forget that that's a valued skill set just active listening and deepening Mm. a client's understanding by being present with them and really attuning in I think I know for me I feel you know like a um all of the other skills that, that we have, the therapy delivery skills, um, sometimes I forget that the importance of just that one. Yeah. Mm. And, I, and I might add as well the importance of doing that for ourselves, mm. just being with mm. ourselves and deepening our own understanding of ourselves as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, goes back to that sitting with myself, you know, and... Um, no need for it to be any other way just deepen it yeah so this is a question that I'm going to ask people that come on if you could meet your 20 years from now self what do you think your future self would say to you I'm so glad that you um forwarded these questions ahead of time because this one stumped me this one, um, <laughs> I thought I thought oh what could I possibly say um in that would you know uh, clearly it would be something profound we know that but, of course uh, <laughs> uh, um but you know where I arrived and I'm I'm quite happy with my answer um I thought I hope that um that I'd be coming back um, from the future to thank present day me for setting off on this direction to really stay committed to being that human um, in the chair, really. Um, That would be so, like, that's a job well done if in Mm -hmm. 20 years um, I can look back and go, yeah, I really saw the importance of that, that there is more to me than that. And in fact, when I'm attuned to there being more to me, then 
that makes me better in the chair as well. And then I stuck to that. I'd be so happy with that. Oh, that's making me feel emotional, Jacques. That's, Mm. wow, that's so beautiful. Mm. And I hope both our 20 years from now selves will sit and talk about this. I think there's a good chance of that. I think there is. Yeah. 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 So finally, if people want to find out more about you or get in touch, where can they find you and your work? Um, Probably my website at the moment is a good central hub. So um, that's heartmatterspsychology.com. Heart is in the organ. Um, So, yeah, that would be the best sort of go-to place and they can check out a bit about me there too. Yeah. Fantastic. And I'll put that in the show notes as well, put a link to your website. Mm. It's been an absolute pleasure. You and I spent, you know, four years sharing an office together. And Mm. um, it's just been so wonderful for me to have you as my first guest on my first ever podcast. So It's really been a pleasure for me too. Yeah, no, my my pleasure. Uh, If only our 2008 selves could see this, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe we should should go and thank them for stepping on the path that we are now on. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Jacques. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for sharing this time with me today. I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself and may you go well and go gently.